I don't know if you are a tech geek, but if you're a, sort of like a tech geek, you would know that the iPhone 14 came out this week. I think it was yesterday or two days ago. And it just so happens that it is our 14-year anniversary. So <laughs> just for you to know, and that's the living proof, Crossbridge is sort of as old as the iPhone is. I think that the iPhone first came out in June of 2007, and we moved to Miami in January of 2008, and Crossbridge was launched in September of 2008, while the first iPhone was the only iPhone, right? And I, I was just thinking about that and um, how far this device has come out. I mean, this is not the 14. I think this is still the 12. Does anyone here have the 14? Not yet, right? They're all sort of looking the same. Um, very little changes. Uh, but, but anyways, um, it has come a long way. I remember the first one, I had the first one. Uh, the camera, I think it was two megapixels. The newest version is a 48 megapixel camera. When it first came out, you could only do a few things besides calling people. You could check your emails. Uh, you could take pictures. Picture quality was not so great. You could, um, I don't know, surf the internet but you couldn't really work out the GPS. It didn't have a GPS in the beginning. You couldn't do social media because those apps were not invented uh, until later. But it has come a long way. And, and now our lives have become dependent on these devices. If you think about it, like if you lose your iPhone, I mean, you're tearing down your whole place to find them. Like if your kids get lost in the park, that's okay. They'll find their way back home. But if you lose your iPhone, you know, you're, you're, you're starting to break down. You, you experience anxiety, right? You, you can't do basic math without your phone nowadays. You can't get to places nowadays. Like if you get arrested and you have that first call, I mean, I wouldn't know what number to call because I don't, know any numbers anymore. We just have these contacts here that are attached to numbers, but we don't know the numbers anymore. You know, it, we, we depend on these things. The other day I was at the airport and um, I was getting ready in the, the, the American Airlines lounge to fly out to Phoenix. And this guy comes to me and says, sir, can you help me out? Can you help a brother out here? Can, do you have a charger for my phone? I mean, I'm running along with 5%. I need to finish this phone call. I mean, I've seen junkies that are less aggressive than, than people like that. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous how dependent we have become on these devices. But here's the truth of the matter about these devices. Amazing hardware, amazing software operating system, but if they are not activated, they're worth nothing. You can do very little if these devices are not activated. They need to be activated, pulled out of the box, activated in order for it to do its job so that we can become addicted to them, right? And I was thinking about us Christians in light of that. And I was thinking that we as Christians, according to the Bible, we have been made a new creation in Jesus. That's what Christians are. Christians are a new creation in Jesus. Christian are God's innovation on humanity, okay? We are made better than the first humans. Now we're still in a work in progress. This is version, I don't know, maybe 2022. They will get better and better and better until Jesus returns and humanity is completely redeemed. But Christians 
are sort of like this new hardware that operate on this uh, system called Gospel OS, right? Uh, so that we become more and more like Jesus, so that we do and become all that God wants us to do and become. That's what Christians are. But the sad truth is that many of us are this beautiful hardware. We, we have this amazing operating system, but we've never been activated. Some of you are still wrapped in your box. Some of you have been activated and deactivated, and you need to be reactivated. You, you need to be connected to the Holy Spirit that will allow you to become who God truly wants you to become. Uh, we're, we're launching this new series of sermons today entitled Activated, and the subtitle is The Movement of the Holy Spirit in Our Lives. And the goal of this series is that for those of you who are here today that are inactive because you've never been activated truly or you are deactivated and need to be reactivated, that you would. Because Crossbridge's vision into the future is that we would be a spirit-activated church. Now, we have other goals, like we want to finish that building. And by the way, there's already a concrete slab there. Did you see that in the video? That's exciting because people are like, oh, I just see piles of dirt week after week. But things are going, and they're going pretty fast. They're telling us that we start, need to start furnishing the building in February. Can you believe that? Wow, yeah, that's, that's what I said when I first heard it. I was like, how is that? Yep. That's happening. So we have goals, and we want to see more churches planted. We want to see the gospel planted even more in our city. We want to see more people come to faith. We, we want to gather more resources to do more good in the city. But ultimately, we want to be activated by the Spirit of God. We want to be a Spirit-filled church. And so today, we're starting this series and we're going right at Luke chapter 4. We're going to read a few verses from chapter 4, and I want you to follow along with me. So if you have a Bible, you can follow along. If you don't have a Bible, the passage is going to be print, uh, laid out on the screen, and you can follow along that way. So Luke chapter 4, verses 1 and 3, and then we're going to go to verse 14 and read through verse 19. This is what the Word of God says. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Now verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as it was the custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set 
at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is the word of the Lord. So why is it that we should desire be a church that is activated by the Spirit? Three reasons. Let me tell you the why. Let me tell you the what. What does it look like? What are the marks when we become that church that's activated by the Spirit? And then, and then lastly, how can we all be activated by the Spirit? So the why, why should we? Then let's talk about the what, what it looks like once we are. And then uh, lastly, let's talk about the how. How can we become? Why? And you know, the answer is very clearly laid out in the passage that we read here today. Because of Jesus, that's the reason why. Uh, Jesus has come primarily to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He has come to save us from death, from sin, and from hell. Jesus has come to redeem us and to this new humanity. But Jesus has also come to be our model of how our lives ought to be lived. We cannot forget the fact that Jesus is the template for every single Christian here. And when we read uh, this passage with care, here's what we will notice, that nothing that Jesus did in his earthly ministry, once his ministry became public, nothing that Jesus did, he did without the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was 100% spirit activated. Jesus is 100% God, 100% man, but when Jesus became a man, when Jesus took upon himself our human nature, the text of Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus emptied himself and he lived as a human just like you and I. And in order for him to perform the work of God, for Jesus uh, to live his life, on mission, he had to depend on the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through him. So the passage that we read is already a continuation of what happens in chapter 3. In chapter 3, Jesus is baptized. Jesus is baptized by John in the River Jordan. That's why he says here in the passage, Luke says that he came back, he returned from the Jordan. Why? Because Jesus was being baptized by John the Baptist in the River Jordan, and as Jesus was being baptized, you guys probably heard this before, you read it in the Bible before, uh, the Spirit comes down upon Jesus. And it's interesting that Luke describes as the Spirit coming down in a bodily form because he comes as a dove over Jesus. The Spirit rests on Jesus, not just validating uh, the baptism that Jesus was undergoing, but validating him as the one that had been sent by God to rescue and to redeem humanity and broken creation. The Spirit comes upon Jesus. And then it's the, it's the same Spirit that comes upon him on the day of his baptism that sends him out into the desert to be tempted by the devil. He does that for 40 days and 40 nights. That's what we read here in the text. And it is the Spirit. Did you notice? It's the Spirit that brings Jesus back to the region of Galilee so that he can begin his ministry of power where he is preaching the word, where he is casting out demons, and he is healing the sick. Verse 14, and Jesus returned in the power of the Holy Spirit to Galilee. And then immediately right after that, we read that on the Sabbath day, 
right? Jesus goes into the synagogue. This is the day of worship. This is the Jewish day of worship. And Jesus goes into this synagogue where the people of God gathered to hear from God and to worship God. And as it was customary to do with rabbis that entered into a particular synagogue, that they would hand them a copy of a book of the Bible for them to read it and to apply the teaching to the people. And they hand it to Jesus, the book of Isaiah. And Jesus opens up in Isaiah 61. And what does he say? He applies that passage to himself in verse 18. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. And then he lists what the Spirit will do through him. So if, think about this, if Jesus, our Savior, and our example, our model, depended on the Holy Spirit for every single step that he would take, for every single thing that he would do, what makes us think that we can live our lives without depending on the power of the Holy Spirit? How can we say that we truly follow Jesus if we are disconnected from the power and the life of the Holy Spirit in our lives? It is not possible to truly follow Jesus being depleted of the Spirit of God. If we are to follow Jesus, we have to be filled with the Spirit as well. Now, this is something that uh, as you're listening to right now, you're thinking, well, this is hard. I know it's hard. Why? Because we live in a, a country and in a culture uh, that is very individualistic, that teaches us that we can accomplish things on our own, that we can do whatever we set our minds to do, and that we are the masters of our own lives and our own destinies. You, we, we grew up listening to this narrative in school, in the home, in our neighborhoods, and we've believed that. And, and, and we've functioned under this assumption that I got to make things happen. And therefore, I look for resources in order to make things happen. I get an education because I believe and I am taught that uh, unless I have know-how, I will not get anywhere in life. I, I, I believe that I need to uh, have know-how in order to amount resources because uh, what a successful life looks like is a life that's characterized by an abundance of resources. So I go out and I accumulate resources and I know that Without money, without dollars, I can't do much. I can't sell an idea. I can't put something to work. I need money. So I, I, I begin to depend on that. I, I, I believe that in order to achieve my goals, I need the support of others. And so I look desperately for the approval and the applause of people. And unless I have these resources, I feel I can't do much in life. And maybe some of you here uh, are thinking to yourself, that's how I feel right now. I don't feel I can take a step forward because I'm depleted of these resources that you have listed and maybe some others as well. And what I want you to understand is that the only resource that you truly need to fulfill God's design and purpose in your life, it's the power of the Spirit of God working in and through you. It's the ultimate resource. And, and you know why you must understand this? All these other sources of energy, of these sources of power, they are not sustainable. 
Eventually, the approval of people wear off. Eventually, money goes away or it gets spent. Uh, eventually, um, you get old and you can't work anymore and your diplomas don't work for anything anymore. These resources, these power sources that we connect ourselves to on a daily basis, they're not sustainable power sources. We need to be connected to the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a power source that will always last, regardless of the ups and downs of life, regardless of how old I become and how tired my body feels. You can work much and you can be in step with that which the Spirit wants to do in you and through if you are connected to the power of the Spirit of God. And I mean that this is a temptation even for us that are leading churches and doing ministry. I tend to feel discouraged many times when the giving goes down or when the church starts to, you know, empty out. We have thin Sundays or uh, when, when, when we have lack of volunteers. And, it, and it's almost like we need a better strategy. We need more technology. And what God always has told me through the years and reminded me through his spirit is, oh, you need more of my power in your life. From the very early days of Crossbridge, even when Crossbridge was not, there was and has been, there's been a dependence on the Holy Spirit for the work that God is doing and has continued to do here in Miami through our church. Even before Beth and I arrived to Miami, there was a group of faithful people praying that God would move, praying that God would be at work. They were tired, and they were running low on all sorts of resources, but they prayed, say, God, come through. And it's not like I'm an answer to prayer, but I'm part of the answer to prayer as you are as well, a part of that prayer that was prayed 15, 16, even 17 years ago. And when we were first received the invitation to come, I remember Beth and I, uh, actually we had just had Zoe, and um, you know, Beth was um, still you know, recovering from uh, Zoe's birth, and I walked into the room and I said, hey, uh, these guys from a church in New York called Redeemer, they're inviting us to move to Miami. And she was like, are you crazy? Like, I just had a baby. And, and we had all the support there with the family. We had a church there that we had planted, and it was a stable church. And it was like moving right now. And, and I said to Beth, I said, hey, uh, what if God actually is opening the door and he wants us to leave and to go? And she said, well, I, I don't know if that that's, that's true. And so it was hard to convince. It was harder for me to convince her to come than to convince myself to come. You know, and she's American, born and raised in the South, and she loved Brazil. And that's, I think that's part of why Beth really loves Miami because this is a Latin culture. But she, she, she was really connected there. And um, I, I was talking to uh, the elders, and they said to me, hey, why don't you pray about it? In fact, uh, why don't you come up for Christmas? So I had like, I have a perfect plan now. So I go to Beth and I said, hey, don't you want to see your parents for Christmas? She <laughs> said, yeah, that would be nice. I said, uh, they will fly us up. And so we'll just go meet these people. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But, but then we'll go spend Christmas with your family. And she's like, okay, that's a good plan. And, uh, and, and, and God continued to work. But 
when we came here and we met with people and we saw the city, I mean, it was actually a discouraging sight, uh, the city in general. I had a friend that took me around to meet with local pastors, and they were all saying at the time, I think that the climate, the spiritual climate in the city has changed, but back then, what I heard was, hey, 10 years ago, uh, my church or the church that I'm pastoring right now used to be twice the size. It, it was a very dark spiritual season in the city. And uh, we came and we met with these people and uh, we came to church and Dr. Kling and I don't know if Peter was here too and, and the Throckmortons were here. And um, it, we were not really convinced the first time because we looked and Peter was playing a, a, a handbell in, in this handbell choir <laughs> up here. I am serious. And Beth, Beth looked at me. We were sitting right in the middle there. She says, yeah, I don't think this is going to work out for us. <laughs> they were the, this was the youth group, by the way. <laughs> the youth group. And, uh, but we, 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 we went back and, and, and what, this is what we committed to do. We committed to praying for a year. We invited our leaders at our church back home. We invited other people that we trusted, spiritual leaders, to pray with us. And we said, hey, if God really wants us to come or to go, we will do so. And, you know, this, is, this story is for another time, but, it, you know, through a, various words that came to us and, and um, various conversations that we had with people both here and there, and also, with what we were sensing with God, um, we learned that this is what God wanted us to do. Even though there were a lot of people that told us, hey, this is never going to work out. The move that you're making is crazy. I uh, met with a psychologist here. One of the elders said, hey, I want you to meet this person. Maybe this person could be a core group member. Turns out that he, they were trying to check on my mental state. So they, <laughs> so, so they arranged this appointment with a psychologist. And, and I'm meeting with this Christian psychologist. And towards the end, he says, uh, why are you moving to this city? And I said, uh, you know, planting a church. And he says, yeah, this is a church planter's graveyard. Nobody comes here to start churches. And I was like, ah, man, thanks. Thanks for the encouragement. He's turned out to be a good friend of mine today. I sent a lot of people to him. He's, he's become a good friend. But it was clear, even though we heard it won't work out, even heard there was a share of negativity, it was clear to us that God wanted us to move. And it was in God's heart for Crossbridge to be birthed. So much so that we've seen God's work being manifested among us. Uh, one church was replanted. And because this church was replanted, six others were replanted in Miami. And then nine others, I have to keep track of it. I sometimes I forget the numbers now. Nine others were planted in South America as a result of Crossbridge Church. And it's given birth to this family of churches called the Bridge Movement. You guys, you know, see all the different churches that are started and uh, all the social and projects that are going on here and beyond because because there was a dependence on the Holy Spirit. And one interesting thing is that since the very beginning, we knew that God wanted to do something bigger than just uh, on this corner of Ludlam and North Kendall Drive. 
but we were open to the Spirit of God. You know, my, my coach and my mentor told me, hey, just be open to what God may want to do through this community. I mean, nothing had started yet, but he was already saying that to me. And so we always started, we started this church kind of like sort of being pregnant with this idea. And, and, and it has manifested itself in the life of, of our church. All of our campuses here in Miami, which are now five, and there's one in Sao Paulo, right, so six. Uh, all of our campuses here in Miami, I mean, including the one in Sao Paulo too, it was not a byproduct of our strategy. We didn't go into a meeting room and said, hey, let's map out the city, let's start a campus here, a campus here, a campus here. We did not have a strategy. These were all dying churches that would come to us and say, hey, we heard the story, and we think that we should go through the same process you guys went through. Will you take us, please? All of these churches, we never mapped out anything. But when you look at the map, you know, our church is really strategically placed in the various neighborhoods of Miami. That allows us to, it will allow us to grow and, and to start more works. But it has never been a byproduct of our ingenuity, but it's been a, uh, it's been a byproduct of the Holy Spirit working in and through us. And we want to continue to be this church. You know, look, we're going to build a building next door. But our goal is not to have a building filled with people. Our goal is to be a people filled with the Spirit of God. That's our goal. It's not to fill up a building. Our goal is to be filled with the Spirit of God. Because buildings filled with people, they're way less powerful than a small group of people filled with the Holy Spirit. Look at the 12 disciples. Twelve people filled with the Spirit changed the world. Thousands of people agglomerating in a space does not mean that things will change. But we want to be a church that's filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the why. Now, what does it look like when we become this Spirit-activated church? What does it look like? And, and here, um, I want to talk about the marks of a Spirit-filled church or a Spirit-activated church life. And, and I want you to think as we're talking about this, both individually, but also I want you to think about our church as well. And I think I've seen these signs through the years at some seasons a lot clearer than other seasons. And to me, what, 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 what happens is the more we are seeking God, the more we are filled with the Spirit, the more visible these signs become. And we see this in the life of Jesus, and we can see it in our lives as well. To the degree that we're filled with the Spirit, to the degree we will see these signs. First, what's the first one? Go right there in verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. See, when, when a people is filled with the Spirit, when a life is filled with the Spirit, there is a good buzz that goes around. Jesus' ministry, as it began, started to generate a buzz. Oh, this man teaches with power and authority. There's something unique about it. Sometimes people can't even pinpoint exactly what it is. Later on, he begins to heal the sick, but this is before he actually starts these extraordinary works, right? But a buzz starts going around because the Spirit is moving. The Spirit is at work. There's a sense of anointing that people don't know what to say about. They can't discern what it is, but, but there is something. There's this it factor 
okay? There's a good buzz that goes around. And not only do we see this here in the ministry of Jesus, but in the ministry of the disciples of Jesus. As it goes on, as the gospel is being planted, as the church is being filled with the Spirit, in the early days, we, we read about this in the Bible, in the New Testament. So there's this letter that Paul writes to this church in the town of Thessalonica in Greece. And this is what he writes about. To this church. This is right there in, in, in 1 Thessalonians 1. Look at what he says to them in the opening of his letter. He says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all of the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not to say anything. This is the type of report that we want to receive. And throughout the years at Crossbridge, I've met people that have come to me, actually I probably meet people like that almost on a weekly basis that come and say, hey, I, I, this is my first time, I just heard a good buzz about this church and I showed up today. So there's a good buzz that goes around when the Spirit is filling. Secondly, here's what we, we continue to read in, in the Scriptures, in verse 15. Now, continuing, right? And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. What's happening here? Jesus is now being glorified. What does this mean? Every time that Luke, Luke brings up this expression, uh, he was glorified. People are acknowledging Jesus as the Messiah, the one that has been sent by God to do the work of God. In other words, people are being convinced of Jesus' character. People are being convinced of his role and of his mission. Hearts are turning to God. God is being glorified in Jesus as people are depositing their trust and their hopes in Christ because people, uh, when they are satisfied in God, they glorify God. And so another sign of a spirit-filled church is conversions. People come into faith in Christ. And in the last couple years, there's been so many people. There's, look, I was doing the math here, the rough math, in a year and a half here at Crossbridge, there has been almost 200 people in all of our churches, I'm not just saying here at Pinecrest, but almost 200 people that have come to faith in Jesus. Last Sunday, just, so, just for you to see the work of the Spirit, I mean, you guys don't get to hear these stories. I need to tell you these stories because sometimes you're so focused on what's happening right in front of you that you don't know what God is doing in your church family and you need to hear these stories. Uh, last Sunday at one of our campuses, we ordained an elder and a deacon who four years ago, their whole family came to Christ and the whole, both of those families were baptized. And now they're el one, one is an elder and one is a deacon. And you know, countless stories of people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Because that's what happens. Conversions is a result of being filled with the Spirit. When you are filled with the Spirit, you're leading people to Christ. You're pointing people to Christ. 
If you're not filled with the Spirit, you cannot lead people to Christ. You're going to lead people to yourself. You're going to point people to others. But one of the indicatives of a life that's filled with the Spirit is that they're pointing people to Jesus, that there's a change of heart. Jesus is being glorified because their hopes and their trust is now being deposited in Christ. Thirdly, all types of need are met. In verse 18 and 19, Jesus quotes Isaiah 61, and he talks about his mission. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he is anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set liberty all who are oppressed. What is Jesus talking about here? That the work of the gospel is not just turning hearts to God. Primarily, let me tell you this, primarily, I want you to understand this, primarily the work of the gospel is turning hearts to Christ. It's offering people the hope of eternity in the present in Jesus Christ so that people are able to repent of their sins and deposit their life's trust and hope in Jesus. That's the primary work of the gospel. Reconcile people to God. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians. Now, that's not all of the work of the gospel. Jesus says here that when the gospel is embodied, when the gospel is received, when a people are filled with the spirit of God, the spirit of Jesus, all sorts of needs are being met. Physical needs, emotional needs, social needs. And one of the encouraging things in the last year or so is that during the pandemic, we were all worried when the pandemic hit. We were thankful that we already had some technology that we can work out of so that we can maintain our, our services and, 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 and you know, give access to you to the sermons and the worship service while you were at, at your house. But you know, God said, hey, that's not the only thing we want you to do. Hey, have you forgotten that all these needs around? There's, there are people dying. There are people suffering here and, and beyond because of this. And there will be more. And it was during that time that I think that the leadership of our church, the elders and the deacons and the pastors, we came together and we said, hey, we are going to give like we've never have before. And we did. We went from 30 partners for expressions of justice and mercy in the city and beyond to 85 in, the, in, in that year. And thousands of dollars like never before were dispersed so that soup kitchens were started here in Miami, food pantries uh, in some of our campuses here. There was food distribution still going on since the beginning of the pandemic. Thousands of needs being met, thousands of people having their needs met, resources sent out to places like Brazil. It was amazing because that's what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. All sorts of needs are being met. And then uh, also in verse 19, Jesus says, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is talking here about the fact that when he came, or as he is coming, as he's inaugurating his ministry, he's inaugurating this season called the year of God's jubilee. In, in a Jewish mindset, what that meant was every 50 years, there was a year where all debts were forgiven. It had to be forgiven. The, the land was given rest from planting and harvesting, and all debts were forgiven. It was an opportunity for everyone to restart things or start things new. It was God's new chance presented to people that were in distress. And what Jesus is saying is when upon his coming, this would happen, that he would proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. There would be a season, an unending season of God's grace and mercy. 
Because when the Spirit of God comes and fills, there is a culture of grace that's set in our midst. And we begin to see now Jesus' followers not being the ones that are well put together and religious or the ones who have been brought up within their religious uh, and, and priestly system, but now these fishermen and these tax collectors and these prostitutes who are sitting in the margins of society are being brought to the table to do the work of God. It was a culture of grace. And, you know, through the years we've seen here at Crossbridge, people coming to faith in Jesus, both from the religious field, been in church their whole lives, never understood grace, never understood the gospel, and those who thought that they were far beyond the reach of God's grace. Through the years, we've seen life transformation stories, and you heard these stories through the years. There's a culture of grace that sets in place. But lastly, it's when everyone becomes a minister. Everyone now is a minister. People move from being consumers to providers. People are not coming just to have their needs met, but they are here to see the needs of others being met as well. There's a sense of ownership of the vision and of the mission. And we pray for that. That's what we want in the years to come. We want to be a church about that. In so many ways, that's why we're doing this Mijente conference, is to equip you into the work of evangelism, to talk more about what does it mean to be a spirit-filled church, uh, to to, uh, equip you of how to um, grow in your faith in Jesus Christ. That's what we're doing, right? That's our vision. That's our goal. We want more of the Spirit. We don't want to move forward without the backing of the Spirit of God. We want more. We want to depend on the Spirit of God. We want to demonstrate these characteristics in our own lives as well. And that leads us, therefore, to the how. So how can we be activated? We know what it will look like once we are, and we understand the why because of Jesus and that we're followers of Jesus. Now, now how? How can we be spirit-activated? And I, and I want to go through with you four basic things here, okay? Number one, we must make Jesus front and center. Jesus is front and center of this church. And the minute that Jesus is not front and center of a people and of a life, the spirit is out because the spirit can only work and can only operate its power when Jesus is front and center. And, you know, Jesus is front and center of everything that we do here. Now, Jesus is front and center of the Bible. Look at how Jesus applies the passage in Isaiah. He applies it to himself, and that's how every single passage of Scripture ought to be applied. It's ought to be applied in Jesus He is the center of it all. He's front and center. That's why every single Sunday you come here, you're going to hear about Jesus. I like to say that my guitar only has one string, and it's Jesus. You're going to hear Jesus every single Sunday here at Crossbridge. Nothing else? No, nothing else. You're going to hear, because that's the only thing we really have to offer people. Even though we can give people money, even though we can offer people help, counseling help, or whatever, the only thing that we can really give them that will transform and change their lives is Jesus. In fact, all the other things are offered in the name of Jesus. So we're going to keep Jesus front and center, and you've got to keep Jesus front and center in your life as well. Don't make it about anything else other than Jesus. Secondly, we must prioritize the prayer, prayer and word. What does the Spirit do when Jesus begins his public ministry, the Spirit, after coming over him in his baptism, the Spirit takes him to the desert to pray, to fast, and to pray, to depend on God. The Spirit uh, fills Jesus with truth. 
And as Jesus is dialoguing with the devil in the desert, as he is being tempted, he is spilling out scripture. You know, if we want to be filled with the spirit and be activated by the spirit, there's no way there's going to be any activation in our lives if we are prayer depleted, if we are Bible ignorant, okay? We need more of God's word in our lives. We need to depend more of God's uh, of, of God's word for us, and it only comes through prayer. You will only hear God through prayer. You only hear God through the word. These things work side by side. These things work together. And that's what we see in Jesus' life. He's constantly praying. He is God, but he's dependent on the power of the Spirit. So he has to be activated through prayer. That's how Jesus does it. That's why Jesus is retreating time and time again, as you read the gospel accounts, for prayer. It's because he depends on the Spirit of God, and it only comes through a strong life of prayer and a life that's based and dependent on the Word of God. Jesus' answer to the devil is when he is tempted to eat and he's hungry is, man shall not live of bread alone, but from every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, when Jesus is tempted, Scripture spills from his lips. When Jesus is challenged, Scripture spills from his lips. When Jesus is being crucified, Scriptures are spilling from his lips. If you want to follow Jesus, one of the ways to do that is to internalize, to fill yourself with Scripture so that when you're cut, you bleed Scripture. That's what we see in Jesus. Thirdly, do not neglect community. Now, you know, I don't know if you notice this, but what is Jesus doing on the Sabbath? He is with the people of God. Jesus is at the synagogue. You know what synagogue means? Gathering. That's the translation of the word synagogue. It means gathering. Jesus is not neglecting gathering. Now, think about this. Some of you are like, ah, what's the need of coming to church? And some of you have been hurt by churches in the past, and you're like, I don't want to be with those people. Listen, Jesus' church and his days was way sicker than any church that maybe you can inhabit today. These were churches that were depleted of the gospel and of the spirit, yet Jesus is plugged into the life of community. He is not forsaking gathering because the church is already, like, here, here's how I see it. The church is already uh, um, failed, right? It's, it's, it's made up of broken people like you and I, but it's still extremely necessary. It's kind of like sometimes you go in and there's a weak signal roaming when you, you know, you're, you're in sp specific places in, in the city. Like if you live in Palmetto Bay, there's roaming problems all the time there. Just letting you know. Uh, here in Pinecrest too, okay? Um, so there's roaming problems. So you have to sometimes to go to little spaces and clusters where you get a better signal so that you can take a phone call. But the antennas are here. And the minute that you start drifting apart, you start losing roaming signal, right? Because the Spirit of God is at work and embodies the people of God, as flawed as they may be. I read this, uh, this tweet from a pastor this week. He, he tweeted this. He says, we are wounded in community and we are healed in community. No way around it. Healing might not come from the community where the wounding took place, but community is needed for healing nonetheless. So you, you, don't, you don't only need the church 
so that you are in contact with the Spirit of God that inhabits the people of God. Uh, you can read 1 Corinthians 3, 6, many passages that tell us that, that we are, the, the church is the, the people of God, the gathering is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's where the Holy Spirit dwells. But we need the community for our own spiritual health as well. Now, sometimes it, it hurts to be a part of churches, and churches have hurt you in the past, but you cannot heal. That's the secret. You cannot heal unless you're plugged into the context of community. This is the people of God, and you must do that constantly, as Jesus did it. And then lastly, you must stay on mission or you must engage in mission. You, you want to be where the Spirit is at? Be on mission. You will find the Spirit on the move. The Spirit is not static. The Spirit is not stagnant. The Spirit is at work. And the only way that you will find the Spirit, the only way also that you will be experiencing a filling of the Holy Spirit is if you are serving Basically because when you serve the needs of others with your time, your talents, and your treasures, you're turning yourself outward as the God of the Bible is, right? It is because our God is outward-faced that we can be brought into his fellowship. It is because the God of the Bible is outward-faced that the Spirit calls us in. And there's no way for you to experience the feeling of the Holy Spirit if you're just a consumer, there's no way it, that you will experience the filling of the Holy Spirit if when you come to church or when you are a part of a church or part of this church, you're just asking the question, how can my need and the needs of my family be met? And you're not looking to plug the resources that God has given you to meet needs. And let me tell you something here today, and I'm going to end with this. You, and throughout the series, we'll talk more and more about this. You have been uniquely gifted by God. The work of Crossbridge would have not been possible if it was just done by myself and maybe a staff, my wife. It would have not worked. The only reason why it has worked is because people have been activated for mission, activated for service. And you're here today, and let me tell you, there's unique experiences, there's unique gifts that you have received from God, and we need them to be put to work in the context of this church, align with the rest of us so that the work of God can be done through us. Listen, there's shoulders that only you can touch, there are tears that only you can dry, there are needs that only you can meet, there are friends or people that only you can have access to, that I don't have access to, but you do. And God is calling you here today in the next 14 years of Crossbridge to be activated for mission and for service. So let's do it. Let's, let's put ourselves in God's hands. Let's make ourselves available to him and let's be activated so that God continues to do his work through us. Will you pray with me?